was great, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer, for your leadership with our uh, youth ensemble. Aren't you blessed by uh, the musical talents in our church? We rejoice in in God and the gift of music, the gift of uh, song, the gift of being able to worship Him, uh, not just on our knees in prayer, but with voices raised high and uh, harmonies sung uh, in unison together, and we thank God for it. I'm uh, especially uh, thankful today for many things, but having Deanna Oki here, Deanna don't, doesn't know I'm going to mention her much today, but you know, it's uh, interesting in life, we, we sort of go through life, and if we, we learn over time to be people who uh, tune in when other people have good things to share, not just things we like to hear, but nuggets of wisdom and uh, areas of life that we can lean into, and one of the phrases I've overheard don't you like to eavesdrop on the way people talk sometimes? Not, not being in the middle of their conversation is not what I mean. But just the way people say things, the way they phrase things, because they become pictures of, of what is meaningful and the things that have really uh, drawn uh, great uh, tracks down in the soul. And Stephen, I've heard him say many different, several different times in different occasions that one of the things his mother, Deanna, would often say to him, whether they were heading out uh, to... Uh, off to school or out to an activity, uh, they would always be reminded every day with this phrase, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I've asked Stephen about it. What, what exactly was meant? Because <clears throat> I can make some conclusions, but tell me what your mom meant by that. And part of it was to remember that, that you carry the Aoki name wherever you go, that you represent our family. Part of it is that, uh, that you love Jesus and that in the choices that you're going to make today, remember who you are. Remember who it is that's at the center of your life and the one around whom you build your life and upon whom uh, you find wisdom and uh, instruction and guidance. Remember who you are. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good to remember who we are daily? Whether you're in business today and having a, a big decision ahead of you, remember who you are. Remember how you are to make decisions. Remember how uh, the source of your great wisdom. Remember who you are. Today is about remembering. Remembering who you are. Remembering who God is. Recalling who we are intended to be together as God's family of faith. Remember who you are. Jesus, when he gave us the Lord's Supper, that is part of what he was communicating to us. As we remember who he is and how he is the cement that glues a life together. He is the, the cement and the mortar that holds a church family together, brick by brick, piece by piece, stone by stone. We need to be reminded because we're surrounded with temptations every day. We're surrounded by the opportunity at different seasons to enter into despair if we don't continue to remember who we are and who God is and uh, in the midst of crisis to whom we should turn for our stability and clarity of thought when everything else around us is so confusing. When we've expected a certain answer to a prayer or to a particular need and it's not yet come and we're thrust into confusion, we must remember who we are, who God is, and who we are together. Today we're going to look at God's desire to be known by each of us. And not just in a general sense, not just when we come to church on Sundays, not just when we uh, about every month uh, celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper together, but what does it mean to be in the presence of God every day? And that's part of the invitation 
that Jesus gives us. We're going to be looking in John chapter 6. You can open your Bibles there. I want to give you a little bit of background as to uh, where we plunge into this particular series. Um, If you want to see where we are, you can pull out this green sheet, and this uh, will remind you where we've come and uh, where we're heading. And uh, we we come to this place in John chapter 6, and the crowds who have... uh, begun to take notice of Jesus and his ministry, his life, and who, who he is. They've, they've been out, they've witnessed a, a miracle of healing, and that's been pretty remarkable to them. They've witnessed a miracle of math. How many of you students would enjoy when you sit down to a math test to have a math miracle in front of you? Would you like that? Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Man, I would too. I, I prayed for a lot of math miracles growing up in school. Sometimes I got some, other times whew, I needed to pray a little harder. But Jesus had taken this small amount of fish and small loaves of bread and fed thousands of people with them. And what's so great, it's almost like as an exclamation point. If you didn't believe it, there were baskets full left over. The crowds had watched Jesus do this miracle. They've seen him heal somebody. Now they've watched him do this amazing miracle of math. Uh, The disciples have just watched him walk across the water, and Jesus is telling them what the people must do if they are to have food that satisfies forever. Food that satisfies forever. Have you ever gone into a meal and been so hungry, and you eat, and you get so full, and then you're surprised the next time your stomach tells you you're hungry again? You might have left that meal thinking, I may never eat another meal again. Right? Have you ever been in that place? But yet, sometime, hours later, it comes around, and lo and behold, are you hungry again? So eventually, you will be, right? There's no food on earth, of course, that we can eat and be forever satisfied. And Jesus gives us an instruction on food that if we really take it into us, it will satisfy the deepest hunger of our life, not just for today, not just for this week, but forever. And ever and ever. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, um, I'm about to tell you what you must do in order to do the work of God the Father. Would you lean in? Would you listen? And here's what he says you must believe in the one that he sent. Belief in the one that God sent, the one Jesus, about what it means to walk in a, an opportunity to be satisfied with your life. I remember. I've shared this with you before, but it's such a great memory for me. When I arrived in France right after college, lived there for two years. And uh, growing up, when I would ride my bike to junior's high, to middle school, I drove by a bakery every day. But I had no idea how to access this bakery. I think they packaged bread and sent it out to the stores. But to my knowledge, there was no door I could go up to. And even if I could, I probably wouldn't have any money to buy anything. And so, um, uh, anyway, I, I just remember smelling amazing smell of bread or whatever they were cooking. It's kind of like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory to me. Sort of this mystery of what happens inside that I can smell it outside. I love bread. Well, when I arrived in France, you know, I, I had never had access to really fresh baked stuff too much in my life. And then I found these bakeries on every corner of every street I walked. And I would come home from my college sometimes. I just pop in and 
pay a couple of francs and walk out with a, a baguette, and I would just be eating it on my way home. I was younger, and my digestive system worked a lot faster, and, uh, but I, I would eat it. It was so good. I remember discovering bread in Germany when I drove through Germany one day, and it was so dense. I'd never held bread so heavy in my life, and it was so wonderful. It was great. Uh, one of my favorite French expressions, after a good meal, you know, the French love to eat, and um, after a good meal, you kind of don't really say it in really polite company, you know, if, if you're at, you know, a real formal place, you would never say this, so don't go and repeat this, but, but they have a great colloquial expression, after you've had a good meal and you feel really satisfied, they would say, j'ai bien mangé, j'ai bien bu, j'ai le pot de ventre bien tendu, and the translation is, I have eaten well, I have drunk well, and the skin that stretched over my stomach is here approving. <laughs> that is an expression of satisfaction, of being filled. But you know what? Even in France, and even French people come back another day, and they're hungry again. They're hungry again because the hunger remains. What is required in order to have food that satisfies forever? Jesus says in verse 29 of chapter 6, it is belief. Belief, Not just belief that Jesus walked historically around the streets of Jerusalem and other places, but belief that in some of the songs that we've sung, that he really does have the grace to forgive, that he really has the power to heal, that he is who he said he was, and he can provide what he said he can provide, because he can deliver the goods. I want you to look in verse 35 with me of John chapter 6. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow. Satisfying of hunger, the quenching of thirst. This is an obvious allusion in part to God's life-sustaining nourishment of food way back in the Old Testament when the uh, Israelites were being led out of captivity in Egypt and they began to wander out through the desert where there wasn't a lot of food, there wasn't a lot of game to catch, there wasn't a lot of fruit trees out in the wilderness. And so they are in great need. And God provides what was called manna. It was such a mystery to them. They had to name it. Uh, the word manna literally means what is it? We don't know what it is, but God gave some very specific instructions about how manna was to be enjoyed and consumed. You might recall, they, they in Exodus 16 is one place it's described, that uh, manna would come down. Like, have you ever woken up at not, uh, in the morning and walked out in your grass? And I remember uh, early in my life just kind of marveling at where did this water come from? I know it didn't rain last night, but yet here's this dew in the grass that somehow mysteriously settled on the grass at night. And when you wake up, there it is. There it is. God has provided overnight, and there it is. God's been active while I've slept. How about that? Isn't that good? God doesn't need me to be active for him to do what he needs to do. I don't even have to pay attention for God to provide what I need. And yet, there it is. Man, it was like that. They would wake up in the morning, and there it is. What is it? I don't know. Let's call it, what is it? Manna. There it is. Thank you, God. There's your manna outside. It would sort of settle. It was described in various ways. Um, <clears throat> it was so special to them. 
that they were instructed to put some in a jar and to keep it with them around the Ark of the Covenant as they went. Remember, the Ark contained the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty serious deal. The Ark for them was, was a reminder that God was present with them. And so to have something near, possibly in the Ark, was pretty special. The things that, that were collected there were amazing. And so this manna was so remarkable to them that they were instructed to put some in a jar and to keep it there with the items of the Ark. God's true bread is a lot like that dew, Jesus tells us. That somehow comes down at night, and you wake up, and there it is. There it is. It's here. Jesus says, I am the one who's come down from heaven. Just like God rained manna down from heaven, now this final act of manna giving has come in Jesus. I am here. There he is. There he is. He's here to provide his life-sustaining presence and good to you. Verse 38, he describes that he has come down from heaven. He would describe that he is from above and we are from below. In John chapter 3, in describing uh, the idea of being born again, that literally can be translated that you must be born from above. Born from above. It's there. Jesus has come. You see, manna, back in, in the Israelite wanderings, was was intentional and important for the forming and the shaping for them as a community because it was something every day that they were to be reliant upon God. It was something that every day they would need a reminder of what God had done for them. Every day they would have to receive from God. Every day they had an opportunity to rejoice in God because here were some of the rules and the expectations about the man is that they would come out and they would collect what they needed for that day, and they would eat it. But guess what happened if you tried to put a little in your pocket, or if you tried to swirl some away in your cheeks, or try to tuck some away somewhere else so you could have some for a snack, wake up in the next day, you'd have a little extra just in case God didn't provide it again overnight. Right? Isn't that a temptation for us? I know God provided yesterday. I know he did something a few weeks ago, but this is a new day. And this is a different problem or a different need. And am I really confident that God is going to be here with me now? Can I really trust that God will provide what I need in this moment? Not just what I want, but what I really need. Can I really satisfy myself today in what God will provide me today? Am I looking for God's provision in my life today and not merely relying on what he did for me last week or in that particular situation five years ago? I mean, all of that is important, but what about today's bread? You see, the Israelites would come out every day, and they'd collect what they needed for that day. But if they tried to collect more and store it away, they'd wake up the next day, and it would be maggot-filled, infested, putrid, gross. Except for the Sabbath day, there were some different instructions on that day only. They were to collect a double portion, and then they would have what they needed for two days, that day and the next day. But then that, that rhythm would start again the next day. They'd go out and they'd have to collect what they needed for that day only. It was, it was to drive them to a daily dependence, a daily looking for, a daily expectation that God will come and meet me in my need if I look for him. But, you know, they had to go and collect it. Isn't it interesting? God didn't just put it in the pantry in their tent. Right? They didn't walk in, into their kitchen and open up the bread box and oh, there's manna. But every day they had to go outside and they had to collect it up. And in the collecting, in the looking, in the receiving, it was their opportunity to rejoice in what God had provided for them yet again. Isn't that so good? 
That is what we need in our lives today. Our lives are no different in the way that we need the presence of God every day than what their lives were. I better hustle. It was satisfying for them until it wasn't. You know what I mean? Has God ever been satisfying for you until he wasn't? Until you began to think, this is kind of ordinary. Or, "Uh, yeah, I know God's been faithful, but I'm kind of getting bored. I want to go do something else. I want to look for what I think I need somewhere else. One day Jesus came, or someone came and asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11, said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Part of what he taught us to pray was, God, give us this day our daily bread. What do you think he's referring to? He's calling us back to live a life like the Israelites lived in the wilderness, depending upon God today. Not just yesterday, not just for the future. All of that is very important, but what about this day? You wake up in the morning and you swing your legs off your bed and you put your feet on the floor. What about that day? How is God going to meet you in your work? How is God going to meet you as you interact with your children? How is God going to meet you when you're dealing with somebody that you just, you got a meeting with somebody you just don't want to really meet with that day? How is God going to go with you into that meeting? How are you going to look for his presence in that moment? You've got a prayer need that you've been praying about over and over and over again and you're still waiting patiently for God to meet that need. Will you today depend upon him and to trust him and to look for him? It's a daily conversation. You see, our spiritual life sustains and nourishes all other facets of our life. If your spiritual life is malnourished and starving, then the other aspects of your life are going to be out of balance and they're going to be nutrition-starved. Your spiritual life, your life with the Lord Jesus, the one to whom you look every day for your daily bread, if your spiritual life gets out of skew, out of, out of proportion, then it will affect the way you parent, the way you interact in your marriage, the way you prepare for college and trust God in it, the way you do your schoolwork, the way you treat your brother. It will affect everything. It affects your parents when they get stressed out. Do your parents ever get stressed out? Don't answer. They'll be embarrassed. But parents do get stressed out, don't they? And how do you respond in grace as their children? How do you hold them in prayer? Because you are feasting daily on God's presence in your life. Jesus later in verse 56, he would remind us that we are to abide in him if we are to know this daily sustaining presence of God. Verse 56, that's the same word that's used in John 14. When Jesus describes him being the vine, we are the branches, and that the branch gets its viability, gets its uh, ability to produce fruit, its ability to survive and to grow and to, to be fruitful, the branch gets that because it's connected into the vine. If it remains in the vine, but you go and you hack a limb off a tree, it's going to die because it's not connected anymore. Jesus said in the John 14, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. This is the same word he uses here in verse 56 of John chapter 6. We come to the Lord's Supper this morning. And two things I I want you to think about. If if you you like to write, pull this little green sheet out. I'm going to give you four words today just to write down and do with them as you may. But they may be helpful for you to to see them. I want you to write the word centered. Centered. And then below it, I want you to write the word shared. 
So number one is centered. Number two is shared. As we come to Jesus, as we come to the Lord's Supper, it is centered upon the person of Jesus, the living bread who came down from heaven to nourish daily our life. Centered upon Jesus, it is to be shared with others. It is to be shared with others. So this meal that we get, take together, this activity that we do together, is to be centered on the person of Jesus, and it is intended to be shared. Okay? This isn't the bucket of popcorn you take all by yourself in your seat in the movie theater. It's something to be done together. You see, it's centered upon Jesus because it's a reminder. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in what? Remembrance. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember how I taught you to pray our daily bread. I will be that bread for you. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. There it is. There he is. He's waiting for you every day in your prayer life. He's waiting for you every day as you give your attention to him. He's waiting for you every day when you open your Bible in a disciplined act of just reading. Yeah, it may be dry on occasion. You may not walk away from there feeling real charged or emotionally touched. But he's there. He's there. You just keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. You read your Bible because he is there. You pray because he's there. The living bread to nourish your soul. But sometimes it can become ordinary, right? The Lord's Supper can too. It can become routine. It can become something we take for granted. But it's centered on Jesus. Let's remember that today. It's also to be shared with others. Later, A few chapters later in John 13, Jesus had his first Last Supper with the disciples. And it's always just strikes me every time I read it. There he ate with Judas. The very one he knew was about to go out and betray with him. But he shared this meal with him. He ate it with Peter. And right after he ate, he gives the, the announcement. He informs Peter, hey, Peter, guess what? Tonight you're going to go out and you're going to deny that you even know me. Peter's like, say what? But yet Jesus shared the meal with Peter too. First Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul describing the Lord's Supper and the way that it was practiced in the city of Corinth. He says, when you come together as a church, he didn't say when you go to church or when you arrive at this particular building, it's when you come together as the church. Did you know you didn't just come to church because you arrived at this particular piece of property? I, you, you've come together as a church. The people have gathered together, wherever they gather. When they gather together because of the presence and person of Jesus, the church is meeting in that place. When we come with a particular purpose, with a particular action, a particular life shared together, it's not just because we've shown up in this building, but it's lives that are connected in Christ together so we can share this meal and share our lives together. Paul's brokenhearted as he describes what's happening in their church because he says, I know there are divisions among you, and you perpetuate those divisions in the way that you practice this meal. And he says, you know, your attitudes need to change. Your actions toward each other need to change because instead of being a glue that binds hearts and lives together, it's becoming a wedge that drives you apart. That's not what this is intended to be. This is a reminder of who Jesus is and who we are together. Remember who you are. Will you do that today? Can we together remember who we are together?
who God has called us to be as a community of faith. Because he is faithful, we too can be faithful to one another. Centered on your note sheet. Centered is one word. Centered on Jesus. Shared is the word number two. Shared with others. And as we close today, I want to write two more words. I want you to write the word pray. And then the word say. So perhaps they're just listed one right under the other on your sheet. Pray to God and say to others. Pray to God. God, would you search my heart as we enter into this moment this morning? Would you wash me anew? Would you forgive me anew? Would you cleanse my life? Would you strengthen me? Would you renew me? Jesus in this meal is saying, I'm here as your daily bread. Okay? Pray. And then to say, say to others, say the words that might need to be spoken to someone else right here in this room. Maybe you leave here today, you go and give them a call. You don't wait another hour. You don't wait another day. You don't wait for that situation to clear itself up. Well, that's my big temptation sometimes. Is it yours? You just hope things will just kind of blow over and you don't really deal with it. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. You go and you ask forgiveness. Would you forgive me? I said this. I did this. Would you forgive me? I'm so sorry that I was inconsiderate, that I was insensitive. I'm sorry. I don't want that to affect our relationship because I know that we are supposed to be bound together, not divided, but united in Christ. Jesus says, I am here as your daily bread. I'm your daily bread. I've seen the result of such moments of seeking out forgiveness from others where friendships are restored, marriages get healed. It is love demonstrated in action, not just talking about loving each other, but actually doing it. It's an example to the world. I want us to think about as we share this meal what our life and our church together would be six months from now if all that we did together was centered upon Jesus and shared with one another. What difference would that make in this church? What difference would that make in our witness to the world? What difference would that make in our ability to touch uh, this community and to touch the sea around us? I mean, all the world and the nations across the sea. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.